Lou and I have an ambitious objective. I appreciate your attention this morning. Um, I think that what we're going to discuss is going to encourage you, and it's also going to challenge you. And um, I am always up for encouragement and challenging. Today, I want to ask a question from the Word of God, not from our crumbling uh, physical bodies and other things, but uh, what are we building? Preston City Bible Church, what are we building? Preston City Bible Church is building. But the question is, what are we building? And the answer, does anybody know the answer? The answer is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's not in Lou's report about the Barden Construction Company's final number, as far as we can go, on what a new building out back would cost. It's not, that's not what we're building. And I really, we have to get this. We are builders, but that's not what we're building. Paul tells the Corinthians, as we've studied a lot together lately, he tells them that he is just God's workman, and so is Apollos. I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. And then he describes his ministry of the gospel among the Corinthians, because see, the Corinthians are sinful, carnal, that's the same thing, carnal believers who think like unbelievers, and they think it matters whether they listen to Paul or Apollos these two teachers, and they're dividing over who they favor. I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 6. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters anything but God causes the growth. And you're like, what does this have to do with building? In verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, another's building on it, but each Man must be careful how he builds on it. It's the same building project as Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. It is the body of Christ, which as we grow spiritually, individually, we use our spiritual gifts to build up one another so that we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the maturity and stature of the character of Christ. We're building the body of Christ is the answer. That is our mission. It is stated by Jesus in Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of the nations by baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, by teaching them to keep all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you all to the all the way, all the day, literally, all the days until the end of the age. Paul says, No one can lay a foundation other than the one which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds On that foundation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is be revealed with fire. This is one of your key three judgment seat of Christ passages. There are several passages. This is one of the big ones. This in 2 Corinthians 5, talk about the reckoning that Jesus is going to share with us about his assessment of our work. It's described as a fire, a judgment by fire. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward because it's tested by fire. Now verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The key verse is verse 13, 1 Corinthians 3.13, listen to it. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The building materials that you use in the project of building the body of Christ are the standard of evaluation in the passage. Pastor Dave has some good ideas. Those are not the building materials. Now, my application of God's word 
which is the building material, my application of God's word would be one of the methods that I would use to get God's word to God's people, but it's always going to be God's word. Today, after the communion service, I'm speaking to you about the ministry of the gospel. You can tell by the physical facilities we're getting serious about doing the work God has placed before us. We've always been serious here about the word, but that's made us serious about taking care of one another. And that's the sequence. It's not that I want people like me or you want people to like you. So you go where there are people that like you. That's not the ministry of the gospel. It is that we get serious about God's word and we find God's mission and it's God's people. It's people for God's sake. The word first with our relationship with God first that then drives us to care for God's people for God's sake. Here we teach the Bible and that's what God's word does with us. Pleasing people is not our mission. Saving them. That's God's mission. And God wants to use believers to disciple the nations. The mission is people for God's sake. So Preston City Bible Church, we are building. We have everything we need to build the building that God has us building. And I don't mean we're building a meeting house with a foundation, walls, pews, a pulpit, and a steeple. I mean we're building the body of Christ, one sinner who comes to Christ at a time. We have the building materials. I don't mean concrete, wood, steel, shingles. Nice fiberglass spire on the top up there. I mean the word of God. The word of God is his spiritual food which feeds his people and causes us to grow. Jack Hayes, one of our deacons, pastored a church for seven years because the pastor was in absentia. And they said, Jack, you could do it. And he could, and he did. Seven years out in Illinois, pastor to church. He's a designer of multiple buildings. He's a builder. He's a master artisan as a pattern maker. He said it best. We're not in the antique building renovation business. I never heard an amen. We, Preston City Bible Church, are not in the antique building renovation business. There are people in that business We are not in that business. Pastor, we're not in business. Now, our mission is making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as part of the team that God has called to build up the body of Christ? This is a photograph we took of the building team the other day. (laughs) I think that the more you and I attend here, the more we should be uncomfortable with the idea of coming, hearing, amening, and leaving. That's not the model of ministry that the Bible presents. That's not loving one another. There's some love in there, but it's not the design. If you view church as hearing and leaving, while we sing a song too, leave in peace, and there's nothing about God's word affecting your life as it, resu- as it relates to dealing with one another. So I want to ask you the question, what is your portion of God's mission in this fellowship? What is your part? Why am I talking about this as the building team discussion? Because the building team discussion is just an application of this vision that God gives us, that we have a mission, and it doesn't matter where we do it. 
It matters that we do it where he wants. It doesn't matter what the overhead cover looks like. It doesn't matter the physical facilities. It matters the spiritual work. I want you to join me in thinking about what God might do with this body of believers if we took off the artificial restrictions of this physical location. If we stopped thinking, if some of us do still, and I have, of the church being fit into this solid structure so that we're the liquid and this facility provides the structure. It's not. This is a means to an end. If we have idolatry, we need to repent of and let's do it. This building is not the church. It is not the only place we might minister the gospel. It is not our permanent home. It is not your permanent home. This building, like everything else you can touch except people, is kindling. 2 Peter 3, that's, that's what this building is. This building is many wonderful things. It's one, many wonderful things. It is a testimony to the gospel for 209 years. It is an American time capsule witnessing the rise and fall of the Bible movement in the United States and the fall of the Bible movement. It is a place where some of you have raised your children. I have, well, almost a couple of them as soon as possible. It's a place where we have assembled to worship the living God and especially study God's word. And we love it. I love this building. Recently, Mike Regal said that we did not build this church, but it was given to us. Remember that? Last week he said that. And that's true in a sense. There's a sense where we didn't. The forebears, the forefathers built it. There's a subscription over there in the storage. There's a subscription from 1812. I will give $2.50 to build the new meeting house, which now for us is the old meeting house. And that's the forefathers, and we, didn't, we weren't there for that. They built it, and they did it uh, on faith. They did it by commitment that they had done, much like 2 Corinthians 9, and they gave it to us as an inheritance. It's our legacy, but in another sense, we did build it. You know why? Because that's us. We're the same church. We're the same body of believers. We changed the name in the 80s from Baptist to Bible just to help underst- everyone understand what Baptist means. That's what I think of the Bible church movement. By the way, if you look at it, everybody in the Bible church movement baptizes believers. We started off as Presbyterians, and now they're all baptizing believers, not babies. That's the Baptist impact on the Bible movement. But I'm asking you to think about, to imagine with me what we might do together as a body of believers in the advancement of God's gospel mission in the area that we're in. I think we're supposed to do it here in these environs. You with me? I think that's what we've been given the opportunity to do. What God might do through us, what might he do? Most of our evangelistic efforts, beloved, are individual. Most of the things you and I do in evangelism are individual, but we also do corporate works. You're praying for, you're talking with people you know at work or wherever you are in life. We pray together for that effort constantly. I'm always talking to you about the list, the people in your life that are not believers, and that's your individual mission field. We kind of think of our church as, as a place where, our church building, as a place where we assemble to refit, and then we go out into our individual work. And that's the lion's share of what we do as ministry of the gospel. We are salt and light in that sense. 
But some of our efforts are combined. We come together for God's building project. You're part of that construction project. You're part of that team. Do you see yourself as a vital worker in God's little construction company here? Are you part of that? Or are you an observer and they do the work? You aren't part of them in that construction effort. The numbers historically with church, understand beloved, the numbers are a 20% core that get it and do it. They're growing and serving and an 80% attendance of spectators. So the players on the field are the 20% core people and the spectators of the 80% were just kind of riding on the boat. They think they're on a battleship, but we're really on a cruise ship, that kind of thing. That's the way it tends to be seen. And especially by those in that core, those doing the work. Now, here's the thing. We don't see what you're doing. We don't see what we don't see really everything that's happening. So I don't assume anything. I don't think our church is a 2080 church, but if you're part of that broad group of we don't really do the work, I'm talking to you. Do you not see yourself as part of the construction project? That's what the local church is. It's building itself up into the character of Christ in Ephesians 4.13, one believer at a time. Will you imagine with me what God might do with us? If you're willing, I certainly am willing what he might do with us as we are with this talent, giftedness, attention to God's word, growth in the word that you have, that we have right now. Can you imagine what God might do with you, with us? Forget the building, forget the land, forget the water, please. Forget the parking lot, forget the electric bill, forget the physical facilities and think about the mission which is the people around us. I think, I think the more I think about this, leading you into our, the work of the gospel, we should go outside and just talk about this outside sometimes because this is not the church. You are the church and the church has a mission. Imagine what God might do through us. Two of you rise early. Let me just paint a picture. Lou, I'm not gonna take any time from what you're doing. Imagine. Two of us get up early Sunday morning. Welcome to my world. Pastor's always running late Sunday. He's been running late for four hours by the time we get here, at least. I can't load it up the night before and then have it ready the day. I can't do it. I just, my brain won't do it. Experience has taught me my limitations. And Clint Eastwood taught me that a man's got to know his limitations. All right. Two of you rise early on a Sunday morning. One of you fires up the passenger vehicle bus whatever it is. The other starts making coffee, pours in a thermos. That driver of the bus picks up the helper with the coffee thermos and they're off to Norwich, Connecticut and they hit the first bus stop at 8.15, the second stop at 8.25 and they arrive here at 8.40 with 12 kids. They trip off the bus steps when the little door opens and the air brake let off. You get that slidey sound. Do y'all smell the bus diesel fumes? Do you smell it? Do you hear the sound of that Telltale bus engine. I have a picture. There it is. Twelve kids trip off those steps and uh, one mother that speaks very little English but a lot of Spanish. Dark-skinned children, light-skinned children, all different spectrum of that melanin content from all different places. 
living here in Norwich because that's the nature of Norwich. Some of these children are new Christians. Some are seekers. Perhaps some are almost believers because they, they're like, whatever, yeah, but they haven't understood the gospel yet, but they're open and God's working on them. Maybe some rank unbelievers whose parents said, you're definitely getting on that bus. Get out of here, kid. Or they just had nothing better to do or they heard there was a sandwich because there will be a sandwich. In many cases, they have no father in their lives. Men, I'm talking to every single man in the room. There are children with no father in their lives that come to this place the minute we invite them, the minute we open the the, the gate, the minute we open the channel and let them come. Kids here with no father present, looking at you, wondering what you are. I have an idea of what you are. Kids who want to see Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Tanucci or Miss, Mr. Matt and Miss Jamie, kids who have been loved by you in their afternoon school programs, they hit our playground. I don't, not that, I, not, I, they hit our playground. They hit the big playground. I don't have a plan for this. It's just think of what a big playground looks like. The, the, the free picture was this. But we did something because we knew they were coming and we got ready. So they hit our big playground. Oh, but there's an insurance. Fill out a policy. It's an expense. We'll trust God. We'll be wise. We'll take insurance. We'll do it on faith. But they might fall. We'll take them to the doctor. Or someone will. Did you know you can call a number and the people that have the access to the doctor will come get you? That's a thing. It's a whole thing. They'll hit the playground. It's a very attractive playground. And someone else among them, not the drivers, not me, not Mrs. Rosalind, maybe her, maybe, maybe, maybe Ms. Rosalind, but one of you, probably a woman, with a smile on your face, an encouraging word, and you have a phone number, and you're willing to share it, and it may be that we set you up with a phone for this purpose. This is the line for this. You go out and get the kids, the visitors, that we're loco parentis because we brought them. What might we do? What might God do through us? And she has a word and encouragement. She shows them where the bathroom is. She says, we're going up to sing. We're going to praise God. And she's Miss, I don't know what her name is, but probably a lady with these young children. They sing with us what seems to them foreign cultural folk music. But it's actually church history. And they learn that these are our songs. These are our blood tunes on our blood pipes one script writer once wrote. They learn the word of God. They do a craft. They hear Pastor Dave talk to them about God a little bit, and he prays for them. And all God's people say amen for these little children. And after the service is over, the kids run out on the playground with someone watching over them, someone who has their names on a piece of paper, knows every one of these kids by name. And the first day is the hardest because you got to count them and know who they all are. And we're doing this, and this is what's required and it's a joy, and we're praying for them as we're watching them. <sighs> this person that's got this clipboard that's watching these kids, she shared the gospel with one of them today. The little girl didn't have much of a much response. I have this little kid in our Good News Club in mind. She's too shy to speak, but she nodded assent when you, you asked, did she trust in Christ? We're not sure that she's really understood. We're not really clear, but she's on the path, and that's very encouraging. We hope and pray for her. 
Five of you are working together while the kids are playing and we're talking about Jesus or just watching them. Five of you are working together in the overhead structure. I don't know what it is outside or inside. I don't know, but you're making the lunch presentation ready because you brought children from the inner city and it's lunchtime after the service. And they're out there playing, but they're working up an appetite. So you got three tables, three of those folding plastic uh, tables, uh, six foot long, end to end as your buffet line. And those five people that it's their time to set up the lunch are doing this. They're working it. They're pulling out the crock pots with pulled pork or, or you know, steak and, steak and onions and peppers or whatever is the sandwich filler or just sloppy joes or PB&J. I know, I know the peanuts kill the kids now for the kids that it won't kill them. I don't think there's a, I don't have a moral aversion of feeding kids peanut butter and jelly unless it would kill them and then they don't get it. They, they get to have something else. But we're going we're gonna to feed them. We're going to lay that out. And all of our kids and all these kids that are visiting on visitation day or whatever we call it, they've heard the gospel. And while you're setting up lunch, they're out there playing, they're swinging, they're playing tag, they're crying, they're falling down. They're accusing each other of villainy, especially the siblings. Five of you are setting up this lunch. Another team. We'll do it next time. It's about time. We have a third of the church already stays to fellowship. It's about time. Let's go out and pray especially pray for the kids. We all understand that there's lunch, but it's really we're feeding these children. We'll eat with them, sure, but the main mission is to feed them and tell them Jesus loves them. Pastor Dave comes out, asks Mr. Matt, give thanks for the food. The kids have a meal. And then our fellowship that we're already having is in a context of sharing Christ with children that are not ours. And so they finish their meal and they run off to the playground. The awesome playground. We're cleaning up, we're policing up the trash. We care about God's people. We care about the representation of God's physical plant. We care about the people around us. So we pick up and we we make it look as, as presentable as we can. And then the bus team on duty, maybe a second team or maybe the first one. They fire up the bus. It's 2.30, 3 o'clock. <gasps> 2.30 on a Sunday. I have stuff that I want to do. Yeah, so do we. I mean, we want to see kids come to Christ. We want the gospel to actually be expressed and radiated out of this place from these people, from your hearts, knit together in love. Yeah, we have something else to do. But I, I have, yeah. Oh, he's talking to those other people that would be available. I am. I'm talking to those other people that would be available. Maybe it isn't the bus team now. Maybe it's you and me. Maybe we're going onesie twosie in our cars and taking them home to their moms and dads. And we're getting out of the car with them. And we're walking them to the door. Is this your house? This is the number we have because we've got it all laid out. We, We already delivered cookies to them and Christmas. We did. We're going to their houses. We take them to their home and we knock on the door. Or the kid opens the door and we, we wait. They come out to the mom and, mom and dad come out to the door and we look them in the eye and we introduce ourselves. And we say, thank you for letting Jimmy come 
to worship with us today. Thank you for trusting us with your son. And we, and we let them know we care about them by just being there. And we tell them that we want to know if there's anything we could pray for for you. Two times out of three, they'll tell you yes, and they'll ask for prayer. That's my experience. What might God do through us? Imagine what God might do. Imagine a conference ministry in which we host our seminary students. Schaefer Theological Seminary is about to graduate, I think, nine or ten students in various uh, uh, levels of completion of their degree program. No master theology students in this, this season yet, but they're coming. Master theology is a four-year master's degree, and I'm told it's really academically rigorous. I don't know that it's all that rigorous. I'm the academic dean, but they say it's academically rigorous. I don't know if it is. They say it is. I don't know if it is. We're going we're gonna to bring them out and do a conference here in eastern Connecticut. We're going to let these seminary students that have been training and working and researching share some of the benefits of their efforts. And we're going to encourage them. We're going to house them. We're going to have an awesome Bible conference over a three-day weekend or something. And, you know, we're going to hear the word and be encouraged. Look at what God's doing to these young men, some of them not so young in their lives. And we're going to be an encouragement to them. Hey, you're on the track. You stay with that. And we're rich because we're Chafer Seminary East. We're the easternmost representation of this school. Mike Regal, one of our deacons, the treasurer of our board, is the executive director of Chafer Theological Seminary. I'm a board member and the functioning academic dean of the seminary. I teach Hebrew and other whatever else they need. We bring them out. Now, you're going to hear the word, but you're going to have to help me with uh, transport. We're going to be going to the airports. We're going to have to house them. You're going to have to show them Fort Griswold or Mystic Drawbridge or something. While they're here, you're going to have to get to know them and build into their lives. We're going to have life-enriching conversations about ministry and theology. and, and, And these are things that many of you have never even experienced or even knew existed. But they're there. Imagine what God might do through us. He might so move us that we end up with a physical structure that can accommodate everybody that belongs to this group and our friends, and we could all eat together in such a space. These are the design criteria that we've asked the building team. House the family we've got plus a little bit, not a lot, a little bit of space, and let us eat together. Let us worship together and eat together. These are the things that we've asked for in the design phase and it's all form following function the the building plan that Lou's going to show you it's very modest and it is a very expensive thing and I am not certain that this is how God would move us but the the things that we said we need to do to do the work God has us doing they are things we need to do and we cannot do them here in this structure as it is imagine what God might do If you are incapable of aging out of this church, except that we carry you out feet first. So far, the answer is, well, it's worked this way for 200 years. What's the problem? It works this way for, but you graduate eventually from assembly, especially if you end up immobile in a wheelchair. We got nothing for you. Oh yeah, yeah, we've got the the mobile ramp. Yeah, and then there's a two foot lift to get in here and people don't want to do it. We try to give them a guilt trip about doing it anyway. That's a joke. But 
but we really don't have accommodation in this space. And when we build the ramp on this wall and we put a door right here, so the fire marshal knows now we've got an exit there and an exit here, and that's in the plan, and that's expensive to do that, and it's going to affect the way the side of the, the little old meeting house looks. But we got a plan, right, Lou? When we do that, we still don't have a way to bring them to the fellowship hall, and there's still no access to the bathroom. We're making an ADA-compliant restroom for the women on the end of a hall that cannot accommodate the wheelchair. That's the facilities that we're in. This is what we have. We're not, this isn't getting it. I'm just, I want you to understand, this won't do it. God will do it. He will do it through us, but it's not going to be in this, this way. And I love God for giving us this place, but I do not handcuff him with these plastered walls. You know, there's a place for you in that sanctuary. It's easy for you to get in, get out. It's easy for you to get over to the luncheon area where we, where we fellowship together, fellowship hall. Coffee break, chili cook-off, pie contest, chowder contest, Christmas cookie tray assembly. And some of your imaginations have joined me. One, one of you said, where is cooking class going to be for the homeschool co-op? Do we have a big enough preparation area that can show everyone how to do the, the, the meal? Because in a big space like this, seems like we should be able to do that right on. Do you know there's a co-op here in this church training sewing? Sewing. There, just think what God might do through us. And this was all on Sunday, these things. Tuesdays. 50 kids and their parents assemble in your church meeting space to learn how God's word impacts every area of life. 50 kids, no, it would be no problem to have 50 kids here in a co-op. From mathematics to biology to engineering to poetry, the kids learn how God's word touches our lives. Some learn to sew, others learn gardening, maybe they learn both. There's a class on practical physics, now listen, which includes an introduction and demonstration of why calculus is important. I want to do this so bad. Me and Art, we're going to do this. Surprise, Art. You're going to help me with the demo portion. You're going to help me with the mathematics, I assume. I promise you all it won't be Saxon math. We might use some examples of problems. but We're going to demonstrate calculus with model rocket building because you have a change in math with respect to position. That's calculus. And we're going to show them before they ever need to know calculus, they're going to show them you're going to need to know calculus if you want to go uh, and understand and, and model uh, engineering problems and solutions. Calculus and model rockets. That's the Tuesday co-op. Thursdays, we recently lost something that was very precious to me. The big koinonia co-op, they call it. Some of you are part of it. Some of you have been part of it. It was here in Preston, and it got moved out of Preston into Groton, and now it's a ministry mostly, from what I can tell, of Groton churches. Groton's a long haul, and a lot of people don't do it now because it's so far away. They are on a waiting list in the Kononeo Co-op for people to join. Of course, we need to offer the, the Preston satellite. Let's do it over here. Run three rounds of six classes a day on Co-op Day on Thursday. I need six classrooms. I need six good classrooms. We need six, what God might do through us to do that. At least six dedicated classrooms for such a space. We're running three rounds of six classes in our ample classroom space covering enrichment topics including creative writing, introduction to foreign languages, French, Spanish, Italian. And I'm just talking about you here in this church, what you have. 
French, Spanish, anybody other have any other languages? Okay, Greek and Hebrew, I'll, I'll teach them introduction to studying the Bible in the original languages. I've done it with koinonia for at least three or four rounds. We'll, do, we'll run the rocket calculus class, and that'll get more advanced as the kids get more advanced. Start having to get licenses for how high our rockets go, maybe. We'll run introdu- introduction to hermeneutics, basics of chemistry, rockets of calculus, whatever your moms and dads are good at, we'd love to pass on. The most important one will probably be a basic auto maintenance, how to maintain your small engine. What does this have to do with church? I mean, this isn't come to church and hear the message and sing a song and leave. That's right. But that's what we're doing with training of our children. We're setting them up for life beyond the sun, under the creator, being pleasing to him in every aspect of their lives. Did you know Mr. Hayes taught a class in our basement? He taught a class on mechanical drawing. So that the kids learn to design with pen or pencil and paper and straight edge. You know, I think Mr. Arbuckle, Mr. Smith, I don't know who else. We could, we could totally run CAD. We could do CAD classes. You just have to find the time where you can get, get away for once in a while and, and show it. Maybe we get my computer engineering degree dusted off and learn to program microcontrollers, make basic primitive robots or, you know. Oh, wait, wait, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. Has anybody here got a PhD in physics? I mean, I mean in, in electronic, electrical engineering? Does anybody here have multiple dozens of patents that could like dumb it down for us a little bit? Yes. Yes. We're building droids. <laughs> but you know, we're going to have to do good sweep and vacuum Tuesday and Thursday because Tuesday night, Trail Life, our great fellowship slash gymnasium, our space, we run Trail Life. Most of you do not participate in the Trail Life Scouting Program because it's in Groton, and that's another hour in my week I don't have just to drive. What's in your church? It's a ministry of our church. We're going to train our sons to serve God in a scouting program that gets them out in the woods and teaches them woodcraft and all the things that are good for leadership and training in scouts. Dozens of people would join Trail Life Scouting if it were closer to them. And our troop, the one I'm in, Troop 1, I, teach the, I help teach the older kids, Troop 0001 is in Groton. Well, let's make 0002, work with them, do joint ventures, but we don't have to drive to be part of it. Thursday nights, of course, is our youth, our younger youth program. It's Awana. And look at all the work that needs to be done to put on an Awana or some program like that. Of course, Friday nights are game night or young adult fellowship. Now, where do you suppose all the Bible-believing, maturing Christians who might do this work are going to come from? If you're a show up, hear the word, sing a song, and leave, then you're talking about they really have ambitions about what they might do. It's really what God would do through us. Are you part of us is the challenge. I hope you just heard a ton of work to do. And it's not about overhead cover or, the, or how much concrete it's going to take. It's not about how much money it's going to cost. I drive around these environs even here, but I can go down south and it, 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 it gets really expanded. How many places that are not teaching God's word in any depth verse by verse, understanding the missions to disciple people with the word and, and handle correctly and, and billions of dollars are spent to have facilities for places that pass the plate three times before they sing a song. I'm just saying we need to be excellent in everything we do. And we need to stop thinking, well, God doesn't do much with us because we're serious about the word. 
God, God can't do much here because the people don't want the word. Maybe God wants to do a lot with us and wants us to stop doubting him. And I'm not guilt tripping you at all about you don't have enough faith. I'm saying expand what you think that God might do here in these closing days of, our, of, our, of, the, of the era of church history that we're in. We could do everything I'm saying in a tent with some sort of, like a big tent with, with, with power and stuff. And, and I would be willing to do that if that's all we had. Let's do a temporary thing and get enough chairs to seat everybody and the acoustics are going to be horrible. The, the singing is really not, we're really going to have to fill up the tent with the singing in the tent's horrible. It really is. I'm spoiled. This is a really nice echo chamber. It's not over, there's another church down there with over echoey, but this, is, this has got a good acoustic response. But we could do this all outside. Uh, a gymnasium, dedicated building that's just for that, just for fellowship and, and sporting things. And hey, let's, you know, let's start a church league and work with uh, the people at Gallup Hill and, and keep doing, the, get the basketball thing going. You think there are co-op kids that want to play basketball or volleyball? How about five on five or four on four flag football? We could start an upward league of four on four flag football. I need a flat field. I need a place that's actually just a field to do it. And then I have to have a few of you that want to join me doing it. I have a rag arm. I need somebody to teach them to throw. I'm working on somebody that can teach them to throw. So many things that God might do through us that get us an opportunity to tell someone that doesn't know Christ about Jesus. It's all about access. And are we inviting them? Are we, are we in an inviting posture? I don't care about the physical facility. And that hasn't always been the case. In 2009, I said, okay, Preston City Bible Church now has a building renovation committee. Nine or 10, somewhere in there. It's all kind of a blur. Because the thought was, this is what God gave us. We need to honor him for it. And so the only way to honor him is to insist on renovation. And what that did was it channelized our efforts where we could only work with this physical building. And the more you look, like we're just putting in a modest bathroom down there, the back end of that building on the foundation is rotted. We have, we have, we have done the thing that they say, you, you open it and it is a can of worms and then you have to deal. And we're going to put that bathroom in if the Lord lets us. I'd rather Jesus came and got us first. <laughs> Please don't handcuff God with this. This is not our church. I love this old meeting house. I really love the work that went in. Joel had a vision of what we might do with screens because we're struggling with this projector problem. And you, can, you could throw a lot of money at that. And this isn't that much. It's really not that bad. And, and, and Matt had a, actually, he, he went to bed the night we showed him what we were doing. And he said he couldn't sleep. He was trying to figure out how to, how to do this. And he did. He figured it out. And he came back. And Matt brought Joel's vision to reality with several of us providing hands, right? And... Um, and, and nothing got broken. And that's, that's quite that's saying something. I was involved and nothing got broken. I was involved a very little bit. Please don't constrain God. Please don't understand the vision that we're casting. I want you to understand in, these, in this time of for your imagination, we have ministry. We don't care how we do it or in what physical environs. Alan, Alan Snow, his wife, his name's Sarah. His wife has a nickname for Alan. Can I say it, Sarah? He is the deacon of bad ideas. 
I don't know if it was going to Liberia and seeing the ministry of the gospel with fervor, with, uh, with excitement, with chickens around the pulpit, walking through the space as they're preaching, because that's where well, they're free range. Nice orange yolks, okay, good free range. It doesn't matter where you do this. It doesn't matter the physical environs. It matters that you do it and that you do it well. And one thing, and, and then, come on up, Lou, as we transition over, Lou's going to bring you his report, our report for the building team, with this vision in mind of what we said would do for staying physically here. What would do for staying physically here? Um, I want to I team with you, Lou, as much as I need to, but let's get this thing going up here. Lou has a brief summary of what we have come up with for building in this physical place, if that's what the Lord has for us. First couple slides and Lou just reminded me the first couple slides are mine. So, so Lou, just keep me on track for a second. Unless the Lord builds the house, let's all say it together in Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Psalm 127.1. Here's the thing we'd like to do briefly is I've given you the need I hope you understand there's a need we're not meeting. We could meet if we get our, our if, we, if we could just all agree to it, if we could all join together in the vision. The need is um, going to be laid out in just a moment. We're going to talk options, and then Lou's going to brief option D, option A, B, C, and D. Option D is the thing we've been working on for more than a year now, and a lot of energy, effort, and love has been uh, spilled on this, and you have the easels outside that show you option D. Matt wants to be sure that everyone knows, and he's wise and helpful in this. We are not building this. We don't know. We don't know that we're building this because this is one option, and it is not the most cost-effective option. It is the, the most cost-ineffective option. It's the least likely option with money as the question. So let's get into the need. I said... We are not doing the things that we need. We do not have a fellowship space that can accommodate the people that assemble for fellowship. If you don't want to prioritize fellowship, then build something like this that won't allow for it. We have to go off-site or build something else to get everyone together to have a hall. I believe in the hall. I think that's a very vital piece of ministry for all the reasons I said, including fellowship dinners. Okay. The sanctuary, this sanctuary accomplishes our mission for now. How many people does it hold? Do we, do we know how many with the, with the mez? About 100 downstairs. 100 downstairs. Now, what do y'all, do y'all know about Americans and evangelism, right? Americans, not you, uh, climb, cr low crawl. You would crawl on your elbows over broken glass to hear the Bible. I'm talking about the culture. Americans, if they see a building that's 80% full, will move on. They'll say that's full. We're at least past 80%. Right. Okay. All right, so with a mez, I think it probably adds another 50, maybe 80 seats. Is anyone, I forget the yeah, number. It's, but it's about that, but, but not everyone wants to sit up there. They don't? No. Oh. Including me. <laughs> Let the record show Lou does not want to sit in the mezzanine. I feel like I'm going to fall out of the mezzanine. Right. That's fun up there, huh? Yeah, all right. Try it sometime. We've got to have classrooms for the classes that we have and that we need to have. And we don't necessarily have the classes that we need to have because we're constrained by the space that we could hold classes in. Also, the teachers, that's, that's a limitation. 
We need a nursery to accomplish what we need. That's going to be pretty full with the crew that we have. And that comes and goes. That's a expanding, contracting thing. We need storage. We need office space. We need bathrooms. I'd say number one on this after fellowship hall is bathrooms, <laughs> restrooms. I don't want to see a show of hands. And there's a controversy about this. Uh, it's not a, it's a, it's a tempest in a teacup, but um, I think some of you plan your visit around. I'm not going to be there long enough to have to go to the bathroom. I really think that of you. And uh, if that's true, you don't have to come and say, that's how I am. You don't have to tell me that. But if you're not like that, you don't have to tell me that you're not. I just think that of you. Mm. All right. I would be, if I were women, one of the women in the church, I would figure out how to never go to the restroom here. Nobody said amen. Okay. <laughs> we got to figure out the handicaps thing. And, and again, getting someone up here isn't getting them to fellowship space so, or the restroom. So th- that's the biggest Frustration for me as a pastor is that we're not taking care of people with access challenges. Handicapped, as we used to call it. I'm told to say ADA, but I don't like to refer to federal legislation if I don't have to. All right. This building, as we said, has challenges that can be very expensive, and we're working on those challenges, and they're expensive. There's a plan in place to replace the floor in the men's bathroom, but I saw, I looked that up in the dictionary, and it says can of worms. Because the floor, we stepped through the floor the other day. Mm-hmm. So now we have to replace the floor. I've read, there's a joke about this. You're, the, the handle's jiggling in the toilet, and before you're done, you've, you've pulled out you know, the bathtub. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bathroom stuff. All right. So the need, I believe the need is urgent. I don't think we have a, this is really important here for me. I don't think we have a 12 years from now, if we save by and by, then we can do something. I don't think that's the nature of ministry here. I hope you can understand. I'm not impatient on this. I'm an impatient person at times. That's the work of God. He's dealing with me. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying the math is that we should be doing a better job now, not 20 years from now. I believe that. I believe that. I think that um, I don't want anybody else to graduate from the church because they're in a wheelchair. I don't want that. From assembling with the church family, I mean. So I consider there to be an urgency. Here are your options. And all God's people passed out. (laughs) Option A is the cheapest and the fastest that we rent a different place that does what we need it to do. And we do that as a temporary thing like a rental is because we have longer term things we'd like to do that that give us some more space. But if we're urgent, then if we need to do the work and bring people and and be able to to assemble together, then we're looking at... Lou calculates, how do you get 60000 a year? So I figured a 10,000-square-foot facility, and um, on the lower end of rentals, uh, unimproved rentals, around $6 a square foot per year. Uh, and that does not include triple net, which means your taxes. Right. Um, we're a tax-exempt organization, but when you rent from a landlord, that tax-exempt goes away. You're not allowed to, okay. not, not allowed to do that. So it's right. taxes, it's maintenance. Uh, things like that. Those are the other things. Uh, utilities all have to be included. So the sixty thousand doesn't include that. And that's a low. Uh, that's probably a low. Trying to be a low number. It's a low number, but it's it. There and are it there include, are spaces there like. And that. it doesn't include the remodel cost if no. we do a triple end that we have to go fix like we want. It depends what we find, but yeah, the yeah. build out would not be included. Okay. Nobody wants to do this, but actually, wait a second. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see the gospel go forward. I'll do this. Sure, I'll move across the country to Connecticut. I don't care. Let's do it. 
if that's what God provides. So be looking out. Look, look for what there is. Maybe you know. Maybe you've come across some things. Be searching. Be, be inquisitive. I'd rather not, well, I don't want to put any constraints. There are, there are lots of properties the more urban you get. There's stuff in Norris. There's stuff in Groton. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lord, if that's what you want, we'll go do that. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing. I'd rather do it here in Preston, but nearby Preston. The next option B, as you can see, is do we buy an existing building and we fix it to what we need? There are existing buildings around. One crazy example, I'm not, I don't think this is going to happen. Archdiocese of, uh, of the Episcopal Church of Norwich own Christ Church, Christ Church Episcopal? Christ Episcopal Church. No meetings there. It's got a rainbow sign out front, all welcome. They, they probably struggle with who we are. But um, bigger space, probably we could fix it to work for how we do it. be probably a major overhaul. But for example, something like that, I don't know of much else around, but we're looking. Right, and the reason we're bringing this to your attention is a lot of times properties are not advertised. Um, I have lots of land, but I'm not selling any. I'm not, I don't have it advertised right now. It's not suitable for what we need to do here. But there are plenty of people who have properties right. who may want to either rent them or sell them. Uh, the rent part is also rent to, uh, rent to own as well. That, that, that is an, uh, kind of a hybrid option as well. On the existing building, you, they're, they're going for around $50 a square foot. So if you have a 10,000 square foot building, it's a half million dollars. We did one up in Putnam before we, uh, before we came here. And it was another, uh, <laughs> it was another um, almost equal amount to renovate that and give you like that million dollar range. In this specific facility where we are, we're the hallmark piece of architecture for the great and vaunted Preston Historic Village District. And that means that the Preston Historic Village District must be maintained, which means that all design and building has to be constrained by the needs and desires of the Preston Historic Village District. Mm -hmm. That's very hard. That puts us into a certain set of things that we have to do that make it maybe a little more difficult, maybe a little more expensive to build in our physical location. The theory of buying another piece of property somewhere nearby that's not in the Preston Historic Village District and building a building that is a, a common sense, you know, what would I call it, modest thing to do, the things that we're asking, that is um, somewhere on the same order of what we have come up with to do here. To build a new building on the existing property this thing, this Barden construction that Lou's going to go over with you, that we have draw, drawings and mock-ups that we have a plan for, to do that and then renovate the existing building because it will require it. We need the downstairs to be turned into a classroom schoolhouse, and that's going to take a, an extensive overhaul downstairs, and it's going to be expensive to do it, but that we, this building design needs those classrooms because the new building doesn't have dedicated classroom space because we're trying to preserve the fellowship hall and not classroom it up. We're trying to turn it into a place we can assemble and do large activities. So the point is, this building, which isn't our favorite design, because it's two-story, because the fellowship hall is the, the basement, so it limits how high the ceiling can be. For so many reasons, it's not our favorite, but it's what we could do here that's a modest thing to accomplish the mission that we said, 200 people, mm-hmm. uh, almost that many seated um, in the fellowship hall, enough bathrooms, access, all the things. That two-story sort of raised ranch we've designed, that, that actually Jack designed and, and uh, was blessed off by the town that they would let us do this based on historic village district concerns, $2.5 million out the door, done. Not, now, he's going to go through the specifics of the numbers, but that's how much it's going to cost to do it. 
That's $220 per square foot. That's with landscaping. That's with, that's finished. $220 a square foot, where a building that already exists is more like $50 a square foot. Plus, plus improvements. So you could get around $85. Okay. Yeah. So understand what we're saying. God could do anything. He could totally, you know, what would be really great is if we could just tear this thing down and build it back like, to our needs. I mean, I'm put it back like it was and, and be all uh, appropriate. But then you've taken down the monument, right? Instead of letting gravity do it, you've, you've done it yourself. And uh, we're not doing that. I don't, that's, there's no way that that's an option. The bulldozer committee, it just can't, it's not going to happen because of the historic village district. So, so now what? So that's, these are the, the options. And this is now Lou. He's going to take it yeah, away and yeah. talk to us about um, sure. option D. Yeah. How, how do we come up with option D? Yeah. And I should just continue to use this. So um, this is fine. Put it close. Put it close? Okay, whoa. Um, got a big booming voice, right? Um, so how do we come up with the design? We looked at what the, uh, the current and future ministry space requirements would be. And you subtract, in option D, we're continuing to reutilize this building. You subtract what you already have. And that, that gives... Um, the genesis to the new building design. So it's A minus B equals C. Um, and if you don't get this right, you end up with a big problem. You end up building stuff you don't need. So what do we get when we did all that? A minus B equals C. 200-seat auditorium, handicap, handicap accessible, bathrooms, fellowship space for, for 180, a kitchen area, spacious... Uh, uh, nursery and toddler room, storage rooms, and, and you can read down uh, the, the rest. And so the title here is New Building Requirements and also the New Building Features. We want to make sure we match those two things up. It's easy to get the requirements, and then <laughs> the features of your new building don't look anything like the thing you said you needed. And so we wanted to make sure we matched, matched those two things up. So what does the building look like on the property? Uh, you can see the current building there. It's a two-story church building. All told, we're about 5,000 square feet here. Um, I'm going to call it down the hill, where the kids play and the playground is. New building there. Turns out when you try to um, account for everything you think you need, uh, that's around a 12,000 square foot building. Uh, it's two stories, so it's 6,000 on top of 6,000 approximately. And one of the challenges with this particular property is the crazy geography. I mean, it just drops off there. It forces you to a two-story solution. Um, or I guess you could go way down on the other side of the driveway and try to sprawl out with a single-story solution. The problem with that is what I call the center of gravity problem. You have to ask yourself, well, where is the center of activity? And people get confused. So uh, that's usually not a good idea to separate buildings that drastically yes yes yeah we're by code we have a little more than three acres by code we're only allowed to cover up what, what they call permeable um, a permeable layer of around 30 percent so we're kind of at the limit with the property that we have and the the footprints of the various buildings and any paving paved uh, paved parking lots are considered impermeable services, 
and people get upset. The Inland Wetlands Water Course Commission doesn't like that because water's running off all over the place and you're not managing that. So th this is where, you know, just a notional thing, where the building, if we were to build here, would look like. Okay, so how big is this building? It's around 100 feet long. Uh, I just showed uh, on the side there 12-foot sidewalls. Uh, with 12-foot sidewalls, it gives you the peak of the sanctuary approximately the same height as this peak here. And that's important, so you don't end up with a building with uh, a low sanctuary ceiling. It doesn't give you the kind of acoustics that we like. We're a singing church. We're not really a rock and roll church. Rock and roll church, um, that's a different design. Okay? Uh, and yeah, I make no, you know, no comment there. So, oh, by the way, this, yeah. So on the upper parking lot area where maybe the pastor would park, where some of the people with mobility issues like to park, you would see a one-story building. That's what you would look like there. On the other side, the lower parking lot level, you see a two-story building. You see that sanctuary level there, and then you see the fellowship level below. And so you do have access on both sides for... Um, Mobility issues. The upper side, you, if you have mobility issues, you go straight in. No stairs or anything like that. If you're on the lower side, there's actually... Uh, is, Dave, how do I get a... Does this go here? Does that, okay. Oh, okay. That does that. Uh, this is actually a drive-through portico, this little hut here. So if you're trying to unload people in the pouring rain, a mother with babies and our elderly folks, they can drive in through here. Uh, and unload and get back up again to the upper level. Okay, so uh, it's a bit of an eye chart. I will give you the next slide that I'll show you what um, is actually here. So uh, there's um, the several different features of the upper level. You have the sanctuary holds comfortably 200 people. Um, 200 people with 22 inches for a seat width. Code is 18. Uh, all you folks are sitting in around 21 inch seat width. Okay, so it gives you an idea. It's a little more roomy than you have now, but if you needed to pack them in, you could get around 220 people here. Up front, uh, at the, the forward end of the sanctuary is the pulpit area. Uh, it's large enough to do uh, VBS and other types of things that this church does. Uh, we made sure that, oops, let me just back that up. Oh boy, uh, let me get this here. We made sure that wherever we looked, we had some form of storage uh, in, this, uh, in this building. And when we talk about storage problems, uh, all you have to do is look down at the row row or the shipping container down there and you know you have storage problems. Those don't really belong here, uh, but they're here because we can't fit all of our stuff in here. Um, let's see, center aisle. Everyone likes a center aisle. If you want to get married, you don't want to walk down a side aisle. So just a little note there. At the back of the sanctuary is, I'm going to call it a nursing mother's room. Uh, mothers want to go out and have some privacy. They can go out. Uh, there'd be like a two-way window or something like that there. Uh, so the mothers don't miss everything. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we try to try to make all these accommodations. A media room, so um, this is a single-story sanctuary. We don't need Joel up in the crow's nest, so he has his area here. Uh, there's a family bathroom when you first walk in here, uh, and that's for people who have, uh, well, most of you know what a family bathroom is, okay? So it, it, you can use it by yourself, but if you're a, care, a caregiver, let's see, where's my thing? If you're a caregiver, uh, you can also help. My father had Parkinson's, and I took care of him. And I never realized how important it was to be able to go to the bathroom with my dad because a person like that, they can't go by themselves. They need someone. <laughs> so the, uh, until you've been in that situation, you don't know how important that is. A large storage area here. Uh, foyer is around, uh, by the way, this from one side to the other is 50 feet. Uh, from one side here to this side is around 35 feet. So that will help you understand. It's around, uh, I don't know the percentage, but it's maybe 30 or 40% larger off the top of my head. Uh, the foyer is also around 50 feet long. At its choke point is 16. So it's a good size foyer. Typically, you want a foyer to be between 20 and 25% of your sanctuary space so you don't end up with a big clog up everywhere. There's a large, in this particular one, there's a large classroom. This is 12 by 22. You could split that in half for smaller people. You could put a no kidding, um, keep losing my cursor here. Uh, you, you put a no kidding um, industrial accordion room divider that it you know deals with the sound issues, not just, um, not just something that uh, is like a half-height partition. Uh, whoops, let me get this back. Sorry about that. What do I, what do I got? What am I doing? You, you going to do something good for me? Okay. Are oh, you going to give me that thing? Okay, got the laser thing. Okay, thanks. All right. Um, then there's a, also another, um, I think it's around a 16 by 25 office. We called it an office. It's a, op it's an, a room that could be used for a pastor's office, uh, but it has possibilities. When you first walk in, this area up here, there's also a little covered portico. You go through an airlock, double door. We, I call it an airlock with walk-off mats to keep the inside from getting totally destroyed by a gravel parking lot. You can come in here. Off to this side here is a wheelchair lift or an elevator. So people who come in through the upper, uh, the upper level can get down to the lower level without driving around the other side. That wasn't the intent, but you can access both levels uh, you know, from the ground, this one from here, the, other, the downstairs one from there, but there's also a lift going between the two. Here on both sides of these stair towers are large five-foot-wide stairways that allow people to get uh, up and down. One of the things you try to do when you're designing spaces is anticipate the flow that you're going to get. And uh, we know downstairs, for instance, in the fellowship area, there's a couple good bottlenecks. You almost have to tackle someone to get past them. They, they don't want to move. And we're trying to, uh, trying to avoid that. These are eight-foot doorways here. Uh, trip, uh, there's three of them. So now we'll look at the, um, the next le level down. Okay, so here's the fellowship area. This is the area that's right below it. And then I'm going to give you this little guy here. Okay. So now we're in the, the lower level. You can come in through this lower uh, level here. Again, there's a vestibule, double, double airlocks, walk-off mats. Uh, there's a little, we call it a vestibule room. It could be a storage room. It could serve for a few different purposes. 
Um, storage room here, uh, men and women's room uh, with the appropriate number of fixtures per code, uh, three women's fixtures. The fixtures are toilets, for lack of a better word, okay? Men have two plus a urinal. Uh, the infants, and by the way, this uh, image is distorted. Uh, in order to get this to look right up here, I, I had to kind of stretch things out, so it doesn't look proportional. Uh, the infant room is 12 by 22, uh, and the toddler room is an equal size. Uh, there's a, um, can be a shared bathroom between the two, they, and both rooms uh, have sinks uh, to clean up messes, okay? Um, and then you have the fellowship area here. This is approximately 65 feet long here and uh, 52 feet wide. I show these dots as round tables, uh, and, uh, but um, behind this are actually long family-style tables, and that allows you to, to, uh, to seat for a banquet or uh, dinner around 180, 180 people uh, there. Um, let me just move this off to here. Uh, a modest kitchen, 12 by 12. It's not a commercial kitchen. You trigger some things you may not want to trigger for the Department of Health, but this doesn't do that. Uh, so, you know, as far as cooking, yes, you could be able to do that in there. Range, dishwasher, refrigerator, so on and so forth. Serving areas here for all your crock pots. The other thing I should mention, it did take quite a while. This is a completely open space. So we had to put a bunch of steel in this particular building in order to get those spans. It's hard to jump 52 feet uh, unless you use steel. In fact, I don't think you can do it with wood. So, you know, as far as push all these tables to the side and then you can have kids' activities and things like that, uh, this is a wide, a wide open area with approximately 10-foot ceilings there. Uh, let's see. Let me get this other one here. Okay. So if we wanted to do uh, option D... Uh, we've selected Barden Incorporated. They do houses uh, and churches. They've done thousands of houses, hundreds of churches. Um, I was the chief engineer for Scotland Christian Fellowship. That was a Barden building. Some of you have been there. Um, that was uh, seven years of my life. Uh, two for building and five for planning. The planning part takes a longer time than the actual building if you do it right. If you don't do it right, you end up, again, building things you don't need and not building the very thing uh, that you do need. So uh, what, the, what the Barden process, and I've looked at numerous different uh, traditional architects slash general contractor. I keep coming back to this is a good play. Barden does, uh, they, they're a designer and they pre-build your building in uh, panelized sections, or they, they have their own trust company, they own American Trust, if you're familiar with them, they're in upstate New York. We're fortunate to have Barden close by. If we were in Ohio or Tennessee, that's not a play. That won't work because the transportation costs get too high. But because they're really like one state over, uh, this is a good play. So they pre-build your building in panelized sections, and they're usually put together uh, with, on, on site with either a lull or a crane or a little bit of both. And then the other thing that Barden does that's valuable is they, they help you estimate, or they do estimate, and you can corroborate that, the cost of the total building. So here's just a building that was just done. Now, I realize we're not a Greek Orthodox church, but Barden builds all different types of buildings. They build small, modest churches, 
200-seat sanctuaries. They build very large ones, three and 4,000-seat sanctuaries. And they build, I'm going to call ornate ones. And I thought I'd show you this one here. So this is all done, 22,000 square feet. When, you're, when the dust settles, around $270 a square foot. The Barden system for us would come in around $220 a square foot. And this just was completed in upstate New York. So sometimes people get worried, well, the prices you're building in, I don't know, a rural section of Louisiana, not to <laughs> besmirch Louisiana, but the labor costs are less in, in some of those states. They're not less in upstate New York. So there's a picture of that. Uh, oh, that baby did not like this picture. Oh, my gosh. It, if, you're, if you're a framer, I would get scared, too. But what, the, the reason... Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. The reason I wanted to show you this is so there's a dome, as you can see here. And what's the framing of an inside of a, a modern dome? It's pretty complicated. And so the point here is Barding can build simple buildings, but they can also build complicated buildings as well. All right, so here's the building-only cost here. Um, Barding comes in with what they would charge if they were to build your building, our building that we've designed, they worked with them, $617,000. That's a firm, a firm price that they would deliver everything that's included in that building, which is essentially this shell and all the interior walls, ceilings, and things like that. And then, then they also uh, have historical... Um, estimates for all the other things that you would need, the painting, the excavation, the erection of the building, the foundation, insulation. I've cross-checked a number of these, and they seem to be fairly right. Um, they're typically within 5%, so I feel good about this number. Scotland came in right with that number as well. Uh, they've been uh, in business for over 100 years at this point. They're a privately held company, uh, and they, they, uh, they don't want to... Uh, misestimate because they end up making a lot of enemies. They gave me uh, maybe 20 or 30 references to call, and I called most of them. Uh, folks were generally happy with their buildings, either new ones they had put up or ones that had been uh, erected 20 or 30 years ago, and they were still just fine. So we did the due diligence there. Okay, so you take this $1.58 million. That's the building-only cost, and then you have all this other stuff you've got to add to it your site work, elevators, security systems, and you can see all these different things, your pews. These things are not included in the building, but you need to take those into account. So when you do all of that, you end up with another about $900,000. So I feel pretty comfortable in today's dollars that this thing would net out around $2.47 million or around $220 a square foot. Now, th this is a big caveat here. The caveat here is the church is a general contractor. If the church isn't the general contractor, you're going to probably throw another 20 to 25%. That's what a general contractor is going to charge you to do this. So you can do the math, and all of a sudden you have a strong three and a half or more million dollar building. Uh, can the church play the general contractor? Yeah, it, we have enough, uh, enough uh, expertise here that we, that we could do that. All right, so here's again the options, just to refresh your mind. Um, these first three options were not on our radar when we first started. Option D was the option we were working with. And then as time uh, went on, the demands of the ministry became more and more apparent. Uh, 
and that uh, we probably can't wait 20 years to meet what we consider an urgent need. So th there could be some other options. These are the ones that we came up with. Rent a building. That is probably uh, the fastest way out of Dodge. Um, buy an existing building and renovate. That would probably take about a year by the time you're all said and done with the reno, depending, depending on how bad it is. Buy another property, because I'm just you know summarizing here, and build a new building. We would not build that Barden building. I don't see there's any need to build a two-story building. It comes with complications. Um, one of them is uh, fire protection. If you get over a certain number of people and a certain square footage, you trigger the fire uh, NFPA 70 rules that say you gotta sprinkle your building. If you do a single story building, uh, two things can happen. You can phase that approach. You can't really phase a two story building, although I have seen people do it. They've, they put the basement in, they cap it off. Uh, building inspectors loathe that, and then 10 years later, you finally put the second story on there. I don't think that's a viable option. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure it's allowed anymore. Um, so if you buy another piece of property that's level, uh, you can do a single story building. It would probably be recon a different configuration. Uh, the other thing is the Barden building uh, insists on using this building here. We must renovate this building and maintain this building to meet all of the itemized ministry requirements. So you're betrothed to this building by option D. Option C, we said it's probably equivalent, maybe a little less. We haven't done the due diligence on there, but I think that's about right. And that option C includes recapturing the cost of the property. If you do option C, and actually, actually option A, B, and C, you end up putting these properties on the market and recapturing the cost and rebating those, uh, those funds that were expended. So those numbers might actually go down a little bit depending on if you can sell this property and what you would get for it uh, as well. So uh, let's see what have we got here, okay. How do we go, what's the path forward here? Um, on the rental, uh, we can this year make it an ambition to try to locate a rentable property that's sufficiently um, close by, relatively speaking, and affordable do your due diligence on the property. One of the problems with some of the rental properties that are available, especially older ones, you have asbestos abatement, you have lead abatement. You have to be very careful with those things and not get yourself trapped into a hazmat nightmare. Uh, but if you do, you do your due diligence, you sign your lease, and then I say 2024, if possible, as soon as possible, get it ready for your first service and then hold your first service and this would be, this is an aspirational timeline. I think this is about as, as quick as we could move. Um, and then the, the second uh, option, B, C, and D. And this is my last slide, guys. So I know everyone wants, wants to get going, and, and that's fine. Uh, we started the project last September in earnest, this, uh, you know, really nailing down the construction details and who would do it and totting up all the estimates. By, the t by, by January 2024, we had all that information ready. We were uh, polishing the cannonball uh, for the past month or so, and the, the cannonball was sufficiently polished so we could present it before you. We did not want to come to you 
uh, three or four weeks ago when we still had some unanswered questions. Um, and so we owed it to you to make sure we work through some of the things that were likely could be questions and also to flesh out some other options. Then here, and this century, <laughs> we try to raise the funds and get permits, start the work, and then it's about a year and a half uh, once that's done. Uh, so you can just extrapolate that as well. And so uh, the last page here is a summary, which says it's the final thoughts from the pastor. Does the pastor have any final thoughts? Well, uh, you might want these to be the final thoughts because you want to kill me. Um, because I don't have an answer for you what we're going to do. Specifically with the facilities, we bought a tent. We purchased with God's money a 20 by 40 actual tent. It's staked out. We're about to start groundwork on having a tent so that we can actually relieve the pressure of the, the coffee break and have fellowship dinners and stuff. We're, we're going to keep ministry. We, we spent the week working on the, the sanctuary here. We're going to keep doing the work God has for us to do and using his resources to minister the gospel where we are. We're going to do what God has us doing. I just ask you, we've been talking about pray for the building, pray for the building team. This is the fruit of your prayers. And there's a huge problem with option D. Everybody sees it. You have a building that is resources. It's going to be a resource sink to maintain this. And we're basically doing almost, if not everything, in the new space where everybody's going to want to go. How many kids are going to want to go to the old place for their classes when there's the new building? See what I mean? I'll go. I do. I like the old place. But that's going to be hard in, in terms of the spirit of it, the psychology of it. So we'll do it. I've seen it done, but it's going to be tough. So I love the old museum, but I'm not a museum curator. Amen. We're not. We're not in the museum business. So what does God have for us? Let's ask him. I feel like I have been narrow in my perspective or my imagination of what could happen. I hope that you can join me and let go of that if you need to. Some of you are like, amen, the pastor's blinders are off. And, and you are part of the old bulldozer committee maybe. And bless your heart. Um, I, I love this thing. We, we got an estimate on the steeple. Uh, the, the spire is wrong if you look in the pictures. 3400 bucks for the part for a 20-foot fiberglass, lasts forever, bolt-on, 80-mile-an-hour winds, steeple, spire. $3,400. I mean, that's a lot of money to me. But we have that. We can do that, right? We're going to take care of what God gave us. But the main ministry that we have to really concern ourselves for is not what people see in the steeple. It's what we do with one another. It's how we, how we conduct the gospel. So I just ask you to catch that idea. It doesn't matter where, right? I'm not going to lead you out into the wilderness and you let us out here to be killed. I'm not doing that. And God doesn't have a cloudy pillar that I can follow either. He's just giving us wisdom. And we have to operate by wisdom. So continue to pray for us for wisdom. Let's ask God for it and dismiss. And I thank you for your attention. Our Father in heaven, we bless you and praise you for wisdom that you've given us to know what the mission is and to make it our priority. We thank you for uh, the, the time, energy, effort, labor, and volunteer uh, commitment of these men, of, of Jack uh, designing things, and Lou, and BJ, and Mike, and Matt, and Ron. Uh, Father, throwing in their time, their best efforts, their prayers into uh, to designing something that we can serve you in. 
Father, we're not married to that design. We're not married to this building. We are committed to the advance of the gospel in these environs. We know that means evangelism. That means some solid and in-depth teaching of your word. That means uh, mentoring one another, discipling, especially new believers that need more mature to come alongside them and teach them and help them and encourage them, answer their questions. Father, we want these vibrant ministries to go forward here where we are, and we ask that you provide the path for us to do that. Give us wisdom. Give us unity in Christ in the mission. And, Father, we have no other expectation of unity. It certainly isn't in an old plaster-walled uh, room. Uh, God, it's, it's you. It's your son. We pray in Jesus' name. We all said.